My name is Pete, pastor here at Destiny, and uh, welcome to our seamless church online experience. We've had a few hiccups this morning, but hey, uh, God is great, and you're here, and it's great to connect with you. Uh, So welcome to you. If you're joining for the first time, great to have you connecting, and if this is your church and this is a regular experience for you, love you. So glad we're together. We're going to continue in our series. We've been looking at, um, we've entitled Soul Immunity. We've been looking at some of the struggles that the Apostle Paul had through some of the toughest times in his life, and yet he discovered great keys from God in the midst of those challenges that enabled him to overcome. And same keys work for us 2,000 years later. The Scripture, God's Word, is so powerful for us. So I really believe you're going to hear something today that is so going to help you. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, thank you. You know every person joining today, and you're with us. We love you, God. I pray as I turn to the Bible, as we read these verses, as we, as we kind of dig into them and think around them, I ask that in all that thinking, all that talking, Holy Spirit, you would speak. You'd speak right into our souls. I pray that you'd birth faith in people's hearts, that God, grace would be distributed, miracles would happen, and good things would come our way. We ask you for this. And I pray for anyone today, God, who doesn't yet know you, Lord, in your love, draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, there was uh, two balloons in the desert, and one of them turned to the other and says, look out for the cactus. And the other one said, what cactus? It's the best I could get, folks. The best I could get. Uh, Thorns. Thorns are a problem. Thorns are one of those annoying things in life. Thorns, they're painful. They're just an unwanted problem. Um, And the Apostle Paul, in the verses we're going to be looking at today, describes the problems that he was facing as thorns. In fact, this famous phrase, thorn in the flesh, is going to be used in the verses we're looking at, where Paul describes that Satan had a particular attack in his life that was called a thorn in the flesh. But in the middle of that, and maybe you can relate to that, maybe you think, man, I know what that's like. I've got thorns in my flesh. I've got stuff going on in my life that I just wish weren't there. Well, this message is for you, and I believe the same answer that Paul got can be a key for your life as well. And boy, is it a significant answer. All right, come with me to 2 Corinthians, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking, chapter 12, and we're going to read from verse 2. We're going to read the first bit and then just pause for a moment. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Now, before I continue, this is actually the Apostle Paul speaking about himself. He's, He's speaking of himself in the second person as if he's kind of describing a person, but actually he's describing himself. If you read around it, you'll realize, okay, he's talking about himself here. Listen to what he says. I know a man who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know a man uh, that whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. That's incredible. Paul describes being caught up into the third heaven and into paradise in in a vision and he doesn't know whether he was in the body or out of the body he doesn't know it was just so tangible and he describes um things hearing things that were he couldn't even repeat things that were indescribable but he wasn't permitted to speak about when did this happen well i have my own theory in this and it's that paul when in the book of Acts, it describes one place he went to as a missionary, as he went to Lystra. 
And there in Acts 14, it describes how he was stoned by the people. The crowd turned on him and they stoned him and thought he was dead. And it says he was carried out of the city as if, he, as if okay, the guy's died, he's been stoned to death. And he was dumped on the outside of the city. Some of the followers of Jesus gathered around Paul and Paul stood up. And the Bible says, I love this bit, he went back into the city again. I haven't finished, I'm going back. Uh, I love that courage. And so I, I, I kind of think, I, I think he did die. And I think in that moment, he had an out-of-body experience. I think he saw the Lord. I think he saw heaven. I think he heard indescribable things that he wasn't allowed to describe. Personally, that's where I think he got it from. For me, every time I read those verses, I think of my mum. In, in 1998, mum, just a few days before she passed away, she had a vision. And I remember vividly, it was, it was a Thursday night. She passed away on the Sunday night. And she was downstairs relaxing in front of the, the fire. We had a nice open fire in the house. She was on her comfy chair. She had her feet up. She, by this point, she was unable to walk. And she had her feet up on a, on a stool and had a blanket over her. And we said, good night, mum. We'll come. We'll see you in the morning. I went upstairs. Next morning, I came down to discover mum wasn't sitting in the chair. I went upstairs and looked into mum and dad's bedroom. And there was mum in bed. And she'd gone upstairs in the middle of the night, jumped into bed. Now, by this point, as I say, she was unable to walk. She ran upstairs and jumped into bed. And she woke up as I popped my head around the corner and said, Peter, last night when I was sitting beside the fire, I met Jesus. Jesus, he appeared and he said, and he, and she couldn't tell me. <laughs> it was like she wanted to tell me everything within her wanted to tell me about Jesus and what he'd said. But she, she, it was like she was unable to tell me. And every time I read this verse, caught up into the paradise and heard inexpressible things things which no one is permitted to tell. I think of my mum, I think, wow, mum, you saw something. Paul, the apostle, saw something. But the verses go on, and this is what it says. It says, because of these surpassing revelations, Paul says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Say that with me. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, uh, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Such a powerful set of verses, but also a very misunderstood set of verses. There's two statements that I want to just focus on in this message. First statement is a thorn in the flesh. The second statement is my grace is sufficient for you. I want to try and answer, well, what does it mean a thorn in the flesh? And what does it mean his grace is sufficient for you? So first of all, a thorn in the flesh. What is the thorn in the flesh? Lots of people have kind of speculated, well, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Some people have said he had eye problems and headaches. And they say, you know, it's like kind of after that Damascus Road experience when he, he saw Jesus like a blinding light, his eyes just weren't the same after that. <laughs> okay, that's one theory. I, I don't take that, but okay. Another person said, well, it might have been his mother-in-law. <laughs> okay, uh, definitely not the case, definitely not the case. Other people said, well, it was a sickness or some sort of disability that he had. Okay, all fine. I mean, people are just discussing these things, but what does the Bible actually say? In the verses we've read, it doesn't tell us what his thorn in the flesh was, but around it, it actually does. So to understand the Bible, you've got to put the text in its context. 
That's how you understand literature. Let me just take you to its context. This is the bit, what, what was Paul saying before the verse we've just read about thorn in the flesh? And what did Paul just go on to say straight after his description of the thorn in the flesh? That's the context. So let's read the bit before. In fact, before I do that, let me ask the question, elsewhere in the Bible, where else is the thorn in the flesh used? Well, you find in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Numbers, chapter 33, verse 55, you see that that same phrase is used by God. Yeah, let me read it to you. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the lands, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sight. They will give you trouble in the lands where you will live. This was describing God describing the enemies of God's people, people who had a problem with God's people, enemies of God's people. He described them as thorns in the flesh. It's also, you find that in also Joshua 23 and Judges chapter 2. Same type of description. Thorns in the flesh are people who are enemies of God's people. Okay, so that's elsewhere in Scripture, but the immediate context of the verse we've read, the verses before it and the verses after it, here's what Paul says before it. Listen to this. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It says in verse 23, describing his life, he ready for this? I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and the day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without foods. I've been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face the daily pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not burn inwardly? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aratas uh, had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from the window in the wall and I slipped out of their hands. You think, wow, what an incredible journey the Apostle Paul's been on. And that literally, those are the verses before the verse we read about the thorn in the flesh. It's referring to those things. In fact, that's chapter 11 and chapter 12. In the original Greek language, there was no chapter differences. There were no chapters. They've been added afterwards. It was one continual flow. So he's described all the hardship, all the persecutions, and then he goes on to talk about the thorn in the flesh. And then what does he say straight after that? Well, again, the immediate context straight after is he goes on to say in verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. And here they are, the thorns in the flesh in insults and hardship and persecutions and in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So what was the thorn in the flesh? Very simply, I believe based on its context, the thorn in the flesh is demonically stirred up persecution by individuals trying to take out the Apostle Paul. It wasn't eye problems. It wasn't his mother-in-law. Okay, don't think he had one of them. And it wasn't headaches. It wasn't some other ailment. It was persecution. And it, if you read the book of Acts, that makes sense. You can, and, and the thing we've just read, it kind of makes sense. Wherever he went, it was like 
He was hounded. It was like demons had it in for him. He'd go to a city and next thing, a riot was stirred up against him or a magistrate had an issue with him or some leading prominent person took issue with Paul and tried to have him arrested. Wherever he went, it was like this thorn in the flesh and Paul was saying, God, you need to get this off my back. That's what you're saying. Now, why is it important we define what the thorn in the flesh is? Well, for some of you, this won't bother you, but for others of you, you will have heard that the thorn in the flesh is a sickness. And people will say, you see, God doesn't always want to heal. Paul prayed three times for healing for this sickness, and God said no, and he gave him a different answer. And therefore, he stopped praying about it and just accepted it. No, that's not what the thorn in the flesh is in this context. There is, what's the difference between sickness and persecution? There's a massive difference. There are promises in Scripture for healing. But there are no promises in Scripture saying that you won't be persecuted. In fact, the opposite. There are promises in Scripture assuring you that you will be persecuted. It says in, Jesus himself said in John fifteen twenty, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. That's just a kind of, kind of par for the course. You're going to follow Jesus. It's not going to be easy. Now listen, I'm not saying that Satan can't attack people with sickness. He does. He does. I don't, I'm just saying that in Paul's situation, that wasn't the situation. Satan can cause a thorn in the flesh in some people's lives with sickness. But it doesn't mean you pray about it three times and stop praying. No, no, you keep pressing in for the miracle. And I'm not saying that you can't learn things in the middle of sickness. Of course you can. Look at Job. But the difference was that Paul had to live forever with that thorn in the flesh. Whereas Job, that was a temporary period in his life. And then God restored him at the end. That's the difference. But in both, we can learn. So for us, let's talk about us. What would the thorns in the flesh be in our lives? Well, it's anything that the enemy, and you have an enemy of your soul, he's called Satan. It's the anything that the enemy of your soul puts in your life to cause you harm, but God will use in the middle of it to make you stronger, more effective, and to learn great things that you wouldn't have learned otherwise. That's a thorn in the flesh. So for some people, it might be a sickness. That doesn't mean you won't be healed. I'm just saying that while it's there, God will do something, and you trust God for the miracle. For some people, it might be a colleague or a neighbor there's just like a thorn in your flesh. I think, God, I want to move house. I want a new job. Because that person, they just have it in for you. Make your life miserable. It might be a family member. It might be a weakness you just keep battling with. And you just keep, man, I keep failing in that area. Well, listen, it's not from God. But can God in the middle of that use that and teach you something and make you stronger? You bet. You bet. You've got to turn to him in it, but he can. It could be an unbearable situation you're going through that Satan is causing to pull you down, but God will use to build you up and accomplish something through you. The thorn in the flesh. But God spoke to Paul, and the perspective that God gave Paul completely changed how Paul viewed this. Listen to, and this comes to the next statement. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Say that with me. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. I love this. Grace. What does grace mean? Well, grace literally means, grace is unmerited, 
and unearned favor, gifts, and blessings. It's, you didn't earn it, but you get blessed anyway. You didn't uh, merit it through your good works, and yet it came your way anyway. Just a favor of God on your life. Someone described it this way. When someone works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for their time, that's called a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for their performance, that's a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for long service and high achievements, that's an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize and deserves no award, and yet receives such gifts anyway, that's a really good picture of God's grace. God's grace you don't earn, you can't achieve. It was earned for you, and it comes your way. That's grace. G-R-A-C-E. G, God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid the price. You get the blessing. His pain, your gain. That's grace. Early in the 1900s in America, when steam locomotives were commonplace, traveling from little um, in rural areas between uh, towns and villages, these uh, wood-fueled locomotives would often start fire. Sparks would fly out from the engine and from the furnace on, on, the, on, the, on the train, and it would la- sparks would land in the very dry wheat fields either side of the tracks. And it wasn't uncommon for fires to start, and sometimes those fires would spread very fast and would cover sometimes 10 miles and sweep across the land. Anyway, one particular afternoon, a farmer was looking out from his field, and there in the distance, he saw a, a, f- a fire across the horizon and he realized a fire had started from the train tracks and it was now heading towards him and towards not just himself but also his land and his farmhouse and his barns and his animals and he he had to act quickly so he decisively took a torch with fire and he decided to set his own fire around a circle around his property he started his own backfire so he created this fire and so he burned the land around his property and so low and true enough as the wind blew the fire towards him, the big fire, it came towards the property, but it came to the land that he'd already burned, and then the fire didn't burn anymore. So in doing so, he saved his house, his barns, his animals and livestock, and a small piece of land around his property. But he lost a lot of crops. At the end of the fire, when it all died down, he went out just to kind of look through the, 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 the damage that had been left. And there in the middle of the fields on the scorched earth was he came across the corpse of a chicken that had obviously tried to escape the flames but had been caught. And he, and he kind of, with his foot, he just flipped the corpse of the chicken and it flipped over and underneath the corpse of the chicken ran out a dozen little young chicks alive. They just ran out and started running around the place. And he realized that what had happened was in the middle of the fire, the mother hen had laid her body on top of the chicks. In doing so, she was consumed, but in doing so, the chicks were saved. And that's a picture, folks, of what Jesus did for you. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he died in our place. He took our sin upon himself. He took the punishment that we deserve upon himself. He took hell so we could have heaven. He took our sin 
so we could have his righteousness. He was condemned so that you will never be condemned. That's what Jesus did for you. Say, thank you, God. That's what he did for you, and he rose again on the third day. Now, I'm aware you might be joining today, and you haven't yet experienced that grace. You haven't experienced that free forgiveness. Through Jesus, you can be forgiven for all your sins, and you can go to heaven, not hell. You can know God throughout your life. You can have this relationship with God. You think, well, Peter, how can I get that? Well, you've got to trust in Jesus. And I don't just mean, oh, yeah, I kind of believe he's out there. I mean, I mean really trust in Jesus. I mean, turn away from your sinful ways. Choose instead, I'm going to follow Jesus and trust in him with all my heart. I'm going to live for him, not for myself anymore. You, you do that, you get this grace. You experience this amazing grace, not because you're so good, but because he's so good. And maybe today that's the decision you want to make. Well, that's grace. And we understand that grace. And it's an amazing thing. But when, when Paul hears that phrase, my grace is sufficient for you. This wasn't God fobbing Paul off. <laughs> it wasn't saying, Paul, just be contented with the hard time. Your sins are forgiven and you're going to heaven. I don't think that's all that God was saying. And for many people, grace, for them, it's only about, oh, my sins are forgiven and I'm going to heaven. But then you have a very limited view of grace. You see, grace isn't just pardon from the past. It's power for the present. It's an abundance of God, of unmerited favor and blessings and gifts coming into your life in the present. I don't know if anyone saw uh, last year in November, there was a, <coughs> an accident uh, near Rotterdam where a metro train it literally went off the edge of the rails uh, on this kind of elevated train stop and it went up past it past the stopper and it ended up um, it was instead of falling and as it should have 10 meters to the water below it actually landed on top of this huge tail of a whale this huge sculpture of a whale that had been installed beforehand so you've got this train being propped up on the sculpture of a whale <laughs> to me I think of that and I think of grace I think wow we were about to be damned forever and yet Jesus Christ saved us from falling. He rescued us. That's grace, okay? Some of, the, some of the residents of Rotterdam said, maybe we should make it a permanent installation. Maybe we should actually, instead of taking the train off the whale, just leave it there, and that can be part of the art installation. Well, to me, that speaks of ongoing grace. He didn't just save you from your sins. He didn't just forgive your past and get you to heaven. He currently sustains you. Grace isn't just about getting you to heaven. Grace is about helping you on earth. Grace isn't just pardon. Grace is power. He currently sustains you. One of the oldest descriptions of the Apostle Paul uh, by an early church father was this. Paul was a small in stature, bald head, bowed leg, vigorous physique, with leading eyebrows and a slightly hooked nose. Now, he wasn't exactly Brad Pitt, okay? A little bit more like Danny DeVito. Uh, but it goes on to say, and, and full of grace, full of grace. You see, the Apostle Paul, his life was all about grace. He had experienced grace in the past. I mean, he'd been a murderer of Christians and Jesus appeared to him and saved his soul. Wow, he deserved hell. And yet God saved his soul. And then he, he constantly lived in grace. In, in, how many of his books, how many of his letters to churches start by uh, grace and peace to you? And his very last words recorded in scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 4 was this, grace be with you. Paul's life wasn't just beginning with grace. It was 
It wasn't just A, B, C of grace. It wasn't just, grace for him wasn't just the A, B, C. It was the A to Z. And for you believers, grace isn't what just got you going and what's telling, oh, I get to go to heaven. No, no, grace is your whole life. This morning, you can experience grace in your life. As you go through this week, you can experience grace in your life. Uh, the Queen in, in the UK has properties, I just heard this recently, called Grace and Favour Houses. These Grace and Favour Houses are quite well-known properties. For example, Checkers in Buckinghamshire, um, Chevening House in Kent, and Number One Carlton Gardens in London. And the deal with these Grace and Favour Houses, and that's literally what they're called, is this, that to live in a Grace and Favour House you have to be a member of the royal family. And if you're a member of the royal family, you can live there free. And that's the way I see it with grace. That because you've been welcomed into the family of God, you permanently live in a new place. Grace wasn't just the door that you got through. Grace is the house that you now live in. It's the entire thing. And that's what God wants you to know. When, Paul's, when God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, it means this. That when the devil is throwing things at your life like thorns... God is giving you grace. Not just he gave you grace, he's giving you grace. I love what it says in Psalm 23, that famous Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My enemies are there, all right, and the devil's throwing thorns in my life. He's causing me to have pain and anguish in this area and that area. But in the middle of that, God prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Sometimes he leaves you in it for a bit longer, but in the middle of it, grace upon grace upon grace, favor and gifts and things that you didn't expect flow into your life. It's not just be contented your sins are forgiven. It's not that. It's there is more for you in this moment even though you find yourself restricted. You see, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, in, in Paul's life, when he was in Philippi, it resulted in him being whipped and put in prison. But God's all-sufficient grace, as Paul was singing songs to God with Silas in the middle of the night, caused those prison doors to burst open. The thorn in the flesh, when Paul was in Lystra, caused him to be stoned to death. But God's all-sufficient grace caused Paul to be raised from the dead and then to continue his missionary journey. That thorn in the flesh, that messenger from Satan in the Mediterranean caused Paul to be shipwrecked in the middle of the Mediterranean. But God's all-sufficient grace caused Paul to survive the shipwreck, land on Malta and see all the sick people on the island of Malta miraculously healed. <laughs> that one does. You see, God's, uh, the thorn in the flesh, that messenger from Satan came Joseph's way tried to trap him, caused him to be sold into slavery, caused him to be falsely accused, and then imprisoned. But it was God's all-sufficient grace raised him to be prime minister. It was that thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan called Goliath, who caused fear to emerge in the hearts of God's people. But God's all-sufficient grace caused a little boy with just a slingshot and a stone to take out Goliath. And for you and I, that thorn in the flesh in 2020 may be caused you to lose your job, but God's all-sufficient grace is providing for you and will provide for you in more ways than you can ever dare imagine. 
That's thorn in the flesh that caused your marriage to go through jeopardy. God's abundant grace wants to restore you, make you whole, and make things new. That thorn in the flesh that caused you to fall ill, God's all-sufficient grace in the middle of the situation wants to give you a testimony of God's healing. That thorn in the flesh that caused you to be addicted and vulnerable. Well, God's all-sufficient grace just comes along, sweeps you up, sets you free, and now uses you to be a means of blessing to people who are battling with addiction. God's all-sufficient grace. How do you flow and continually flow in the all-sufficient grace? Let's go back to one of the first things we read Paul say. He said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, because of these surpassing great revelations, these visions of heaven that he'd seen, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, that means proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. Paul had great visions. I mean, even at his conversion, he had a vision of Jesus on the Damascus Road. He saw Jesus. And when he was in Tarsus, he, he had encounters with Jesus, where Jesus taught him the gospel. And in Lystra, when he was stoned to death, I believe it was then he had this vision of heaven. He had visions. And do you know, supernatural visions, I know we all want them, but God doesn't give them that often because we have a fallenness within us that would cause us to become spiritually puffed up and proud if we had those spiritual experiences. Paul had these spiritual experiences and the thorn in the flesh was given and was allowed to be there to keep him humble. My question is, how can you see that grace continually flow in your life? Do you know what? If God allows a thorn in the flesh to be in our lives, to keep us from becoming arrogant, God has done that because he loves you so much. Because the worst thing, your biggest enemy is not the thorn. Your biggest enemy, my biggest enemy, is arrogance and pride and self-sufficiency because spiritually speaking that's deadly that's demonic and that's dark i love what it says in james 4 verse 6 god is opposed to the proud but he gives grace 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 favor you didn't deserve it but it came your way anyway blessing favor grace to the humble a couple of years ago when Dad was turned 90, I, he'd always wanted to go in a, in a glider plane. And so we organised for him to go in a glider plane at Kinross. There's an airfield there. And Dad loved it. I mean, he absolutely loved it. And he went up and, and he soared around for a good long time and came down. <clears throat> I was talking to some of the instructors there. and they was, I, I assumed that a glider plane, if it goes up, you know, it's going to be a set time and then it'll have to come down because gravity will force it to come down. But they said to me, actually it can stay up as long as the person can handle it because these air currents will keep up. And he gave an example. He said from Kinross, someone flew a glider from Kinross to Ireland and then up to uh, Montrose and then back down to Kinross again on the same day. I mean, he said the only limiting factor on a flight like that is your bladder because there isn't a toilet in the back, okay? If you can handle it, that thing will stay up there as long as you can stay on the air currents. And do you know that speaks to me of grace? You see, the only limiting, as far as God's concerned, he, there's a constant flow of grace. It will enable you to soar at a higher level. And even though the devil wants to keep you down, God will enable you to soar at a higher level. The 
the only limiting factor is if we ever get into self-sufficiency or self-dependency or we become conceited or proud, then all of a sudden it puts a cap on that grace. If you can stay humble and stay God-dependent and stay thankful and stay gracious and trusting in Him, then I assure you there is more than enough grace for any situation you will face. And that grace will cause you to overcome every single time. The devil will throw the bad stuff, but God has got all the good stuff coming your way. Grace. Did persecution stop Paul? Not one bit. Did that thorn in the flesh stop Paul? Not in the slightest. Actually, it was as he was in that place of vulnerability that more anointing flowed and revivals broke out. As he was in that place of vulnerability in prison often, it was his letters, and we're reading them today, right? It was his letters that influenced the world. There was more power flowing through a weak Paul than through a self-sufficient Paul. And it is the same in our lives. Live humble, live humble, trust in Jesus, be God-dependent. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that your grace is all-sufficient. God, grace isn't, isn't just, and when I say just, it is remarkable. It isn't just what gets us to heaven, and we're so grateful it does. And it isn't just what saves us from our sins, and we're so grateful it does. But that grace is what gives us jobs and puts money in our bank account so we can be a blessing to others. And it's what heals our sick bodies. And it's that grace that causes us to have success when we shouldn't have succeeded in the natural. And it's that grace which causes us to do things that we could never have done in our own strength. And we praise you for that all-sufficient grace that you have for your people. And God, thank you that that grace at a time when we would least expect it, when things are seemingly going wrong, it's actually right then that there is more grace available. And we say thank you. Thank you. Just take a moment in God's presence. If you flipped into self-sufficiency, just flip out of it again. Become deeply God-dependent. Humble yourself before God. Allow that grace to flow. Thank him for the grace of God right now. Take a limitation in your mind of what you think grace is. Allow it to be that all-sufficient thing that God thinks it is. While we're praying, I'm aware. Maybe you're connecting today and you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus. You don't know what it's like to be saved yet. Listen, I am so pleased that you've connected today. It's a privilege to have you connecting. And it would be my joy right now to help you find God because God wants to find you. So are you ready? If you're here today and saying, Peter, I want God in my life, then are you ready to trust in him to be a saviour? Not trusting yourself, but trust in him to be a saviour. Are you ready to turn away from your sins? To stop hanging on to things that you, th- you can want to keep doing? No, no, let go. It's now time to live for God. Repent. And having done that, are you ready to get baptised as a believer? That's the sign in the New Testament. That's what every believer did in response to their believing. You put your trust in Jesus, you turn from your sins, and you get baptised. If that's you, then this is your moment. Pray this prayer with me and make this your commitment to God. Pray this with me. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place so that I can be forgiven and have eternal life. I believe you rose from the dead. I confess that I am a sinner. And with your help, I turn away from my sinful ways. I renounce them. And I commit to following Jesus 
for the rest of my life. I declare Jesus is Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer and for saving my soul. Amen. Wow. If you prayed that prayer, I know that God has heard you and God saves your soul. It's the greatest news ever. Grace has now come into your life. You didn't deserve it, but you've got it. You have got it. So good. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, you've made the greatest decision ever. As a church, we have a responsibility. We want to do everything we can to help you now grow. If you prayed that prayer, click on the button on the platform that says, I prayed that prayer. Or if you're on Facebook or YouTube or listening to the podcast afterwards, please go to destinyedinburgh.com forward slash connect. Leave your details because we want to enable you. We want to do everything we can to help you grow. Organize your baptism for you. Make sure you've got a Bible you can read and pray with you again. God bless you. Let's worship God.